Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones. Building in Faith. Man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Marriage is to be a unity, it's to be soulmates, it's to be a companionship. So woman was not created out of man's foot to be stepped on, not created out of his head to be ruled over, but out of his side to be held and to be committed together to this journey of life as a helpmate. Reaching up high with arms open wide we see You're changing our lives so we can be our hands and feet God instituted marriage to be a reflection of the union between Jesus and the church. That's why the devil continually tries to pervert this amazing union. Today, Pastor Ed will be explaining that marriage was meant to be an intimate partnership of mutual submission under God. The man is the head of the home, but both man and woman are subject unto each other in the fear of the Lord as well. The most important relationship in our lives should be the one that we have with the Lord, and the second is with our spouse. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith. Building in Faith. Now in those days, Israel had no king. Now the idea is that they're gonna be doing what is right in their own eyes. It's a way of saying that. Now Israel in those days had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. That's his, it's a wife, but it's a lower station for a wife. And so she had no dowry. Uh, she was his wife and almost a slave too. So she had all the duties of a wife with very few of the privileges of a wife. Now, the last verses in chapter 21 concluded, then the people of Israel departed by tribes, verse 24, and families, and they returned to their homes. So you have Levi establishing a home, then you have this Levite taking to himself a wife, and at the end, you have all the families going back returning to their homes, and then it states again, in those days Israel had no king. Now here's the punchline, here's what ties everything together, and the mess that you see in chapter 19, 20, and 21 is all because of this. All the people did what was ever right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. There is a snowball effect starting in chapter 19 that gains momentum with time. There's an issue in the home that spreads to the nation that creates an atmosphere where there would be a civil war and it just grows and it all starts in the home. So many people you hear will say, it all starts in the home. The home is the foundation of society. And here you see a picture of the home being the foundation of the society. But in this home, it's heartless. A Levite who should know the word of God, the law of God, and God's 
perspective on marriage simply doesn't live it. He takes the standards of the culture and he brings the standards of the culture into his particular home. And I want to read to you from Genesis, just a reminder, Genesis chapter two. Then the Lord made woman from the rib, Adam's rib, and he took it out of man and he brought her to man and said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Marriage is to be a unity. It's to be soulmates. It's to be a companionship. So woman was not created out of man's foot to be stepped on, not created out of his head to be ruled over, but out of his side to be held and to be committed together to this journey of life as a helpmate. But this Levite is not living according to the law of scripture. He's taking on the attitude of the surrounding nations, the Canaanites. And I want you to see that his heart is calloused. It's a calloused heart. In verses one to two, it tells us, and I'm using the New Living Translation because again, at this point, I believe it really accurately conveys what the Hebrew is saying. But she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. So she goes there and he lets her stay there for four months. For a woman to leave the house in that culture said that she was really being mistreated. She was really being abused. He waits four months and he comes, and if you look at the dialogue in verses one, two, and three, you'll notice this. She doesn't say anything. Her husband comes and tries to woo her back, but the conversation goes on between her father and her husband. And it's like she's property. They just own her. So the father says, no, I'll take her back. And the Levite says, yes, I'll take her back. And it's sort of a coldness to it. How we treat our spouses is so important. Marriage, it should not be the goal of marriage, just happiness. It should be holiness. Happiness will be a byproduct of holiness. A marriage is, 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 comes together so that the couple will serve God together, raise a godly family, children for the Lord. And when we put God first, he'll bless and meet our needs. And a marriage should be according to the biblical portrait of what a, a marriage should be. And so what happens is you see, he's a calloused man. In most of the weddings I perform, we have what we call the initial vows when they stand before me, uh, before they exchange the ring vows. And the initial vows, it goes something like this, will you covenant to love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and health, forsaking all others as long as you both shall live. And then the same for the wife. That's the goal, to minister to your spouse. And here you see this callousness about this Levite. It's all about him. Not only is there a calloused heart, but there is a corrupted heart. When you read these chapters, it's absolutely shocking. I mean, it's just, whoa, what's happening? I mean, even in our culture, it's shocking all of the events that take place. In chapter 19, 22 to 25, I'm gonna read not all of those verses, but parts of it. While they were enjoying themselves, what happened is this Levite, traveled, he wants to go back home. 
He enjoyed the hospitality of her father, and he wants to stay at an Israelite home because he doesn't want to stay in a Canaanite home or a Canaanite community because he doesn't want to be influenced by the culture. But when he goes to a city that the Benjamites own or a part of their land, he's really mistreated. He finds no hospitality. He's in the marketplace and the market square, and an elder comes and says, come and stay with me. It was like something ominous, something uh, dreadful might happen. So in verses 22 to 25, he's at this older man's house. It says, while they were enjoying themselves. Now notice a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, bring out the man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing. For this man is the guest of my house. So then he offers him his daughter, who is a virgin, and he offers the crowd the concubine, the Levite's wife. We say, whoa, well, what happened? The values of culture were superseding the values of Scripture. Culture was having a greater impact upon him than the word of God. Instead of protecting his daughter, instead of uh, protecting the Levite, protecting his wife, they, the culture back then said, listen, hospitality, you gotta show hospitality to people. Someone comes under your roof, you gotta protect them. And, and here you could see when culture clashes with Christianity, with biblical truths, we ought to embrace the word of God. And what happens here, so the Levite took hold of his concubine. Now he hears them arguing. He had just went and got this, his wife back. He's bringing her back. I don't know if they had an argument on the way back and some uh, old issues came up again, but they're there at the door. So the Levite took hold of his concubine, pushed her out of the door. And the men of the town abused her all night. Wow. Now they came and they wanted to have sex with him. He didn't even want to go near them, and he pushes his wife out and says, have sex with her. Is that protecting your spouse? Now, you know he's self-centered. You know that this isn't God's way. I want to read you the covenant I wrote years ago that I use when couples exchange the ring vows. And I'll read it for the man I, meaning the man take you, his wife, to be my wedded wife, I love you and the God who brought us together. I covenant with God and you in the presence of our family and friends to be your loving and faithful husband, to love you as Christ loved the church. I will take the spiritual leadership of our home and devote myself to loving you in all the circumstances of life as long as we both shall live according to God's holy word. It's the word of God that guides, that dictates how husbands and wives interact in the home. It shouldn't be the culture. But here he is, he's, he's falling into the culture. Now, he's in the house snoozing. The old man's in the house snoozing. Now, he had a male servant with him, and he's sleeping too. So after a good night's sleep, he gets up, he goes to the door, and I'll let the text speak for itself. At daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying. She collapsed at the door of the house and lay there until it was light. When her husband opened the door to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. So she was trying to get back in the house. She was trying to get back home 
for some safety. He's sleeping. He's not watching at the door. So he comes to the door. He said, get up, let's go. But there's no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into 12 pieces. Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, when you look at this, it's shocking. You say, whoa, how could that happen among the people of God? Remember what we've been reading. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When the culture informs us, rather than the word of God, when we're listening to what our culture tells us, we're gonna be in trouble. And these people who had the covenant, the law of God, should have known how to live, how to act, how to conduct home life, but it's, they're just like the pagans all around them. So here's a problem in the home, and it doesn't stay in the home. It goes out of the home, and it seeps into the nation. I'm gonna read the last verse of 48, and we're gonna go back over the material in chapter 20. In chapter 20, verse 48, you see that the home that is heartless creates a crisis that leads to civil war. The men of Israel came back and killed all the Benjamites who were left, all the men and animals they found in every town. Then they torched the towns, sending them up in flames. What in the world happened? How did you have civil war because of what happened in the house? Well, what happened, remember that he cuts up his wife into 12 pieces, sends her throughout Israel. He tells them that he had been wrong, and then he gathers everybody together. Now, here's the principle. When the half-truth is marketed as the whole truth. Let me say that again. When the half-truth is marketed as the whole truth. That describes our very culture. We literally are a nation of liars. People lie in church. They lie at work. They lie to their spouses. It's a culture of liars. And, and that's how our culture has been described. I'm not just picking things out of the hat or just saying things from the top of my head. That is literally the truth when you look at American culture. And so what happens is here's this Levite and he goes and tells the story. Now pick out the problems in the story. I'm gonna read the text. So the Levite, the husband of the murdered woman said, now he's speaking before all of Israel. I and my concubine came to Gibeah and Benjamin to spend the night. That's true, right? But he's leaving out some facts. During the night, the men of Gibeah came after me and surrounded the house intending to kill me. I'm not sure if that was the truth. They wanted to have sex with him. He tells them they wanted to kill him. They raped my concubine and she died and I took my concubine, cut her into pieces, sent one piece to each region of Israel's inheritance because they committed this lewd, disgraceful act in Israel. Now all of you Israelites, speak up and give me your verdict. Now think about what he's doing. First of all, he's putting himself in the best possible light. He didn't tell him, I pushed her out the door. He didn't tell him that really they didn't want her, they wanted me and I had another male servant and I could have sent that male servant out but I chose to send my wife out he didn't tell them that there were other witnesses because in Deuteronomy it demanded that there would be other witnesses in a major case. So the old man was with him that of the house that he was staying at. Also with him was that servant. He didn't say that because he doesn't want them to come and give their part of the testimony. When the half truth is marketed like a whole truth. When you hear so much that's on the news 
It's a half truth. It's not the whole truth. I think about all the things that have happened sometimes within our nations, whether it's conflicts between races, uh, between political parties, whatever. Sometimes just a half of truth is shared and it creates a snowball of problems. Uh, We see it in our nation. And that's what happened here in Israel. A half of truth is shared and he only says, oh listen, I was just traveling and, and, and he puts himself in the best light possible. Now, what he does is he really has a vendetta that he's carrying because he didn't receive hospitality in that community. It didn't say all the people in Gibeah. It was a few men that were immoral and, and it gives you a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they weren't at the level of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was a reflection of Sodom and Gomorrah. If I read the text from verse 22, it says in chapter 19, while they were going and enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. It wasn't the whole city. But when he goes, he tells them it was that whole community. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are killed, all because of a controversy that happened and all because of something that happened in, that, in his life in his home. Now they go to Benjamin, That's one of the tribes, and they said, listen, turn the people over who were involved in this. Uh, Verses 12 and 13, when pride blinds us to the path of self-destruction, the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, what about this awful crime that was committed among you? Now surrender those wicked men of Gibeah so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But notice this, but the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. They were saying, wait a minute, they're from the same tribe. They're blood, they're our blood relatives. They're our compatriots. So they're not willing. And they think too they can defeat all of Israel because they had some of the best warriors in the tribe of Benjamin. They knew how to handle a slingshot. And those slingshots were not like slingshots today. I mean, they had, the stones were about a pound in weight and they were accurate. And so they were overconfident and their pride just keeps them from literally saying, listen, we're gonna turn them over to you, we're gonna deal with this, and it's a civil war. And literally, thousands of Benjamites are killed, thousands of people from the tribe of Israel are killed, all because of this Levite with this spirit of revenge and what's happening in his home with his wife. It all starts in the family. It moves on, and I want you to see the last point. The end, that ends in social confusion and injustice. In chapter 21, he's showing us the snowball of effects. The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah. When they gathered together, no one of us will give his daughter in marriage to the Benjamites. The people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices, weeping bitterly. Now listen to their prayer. O Lord, the God of Israel, they cried, Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one of the tribes be missing from Israel today? After their anger had abated, after they had cooled down, they start thinking, why has this happened? Why have we suffered? Hello? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes rather than God's eyes. So many times, People have come to me over and over again through the years and they said, God told me, God said this. I know God didn't say that to them. It's not in the word. And I happen to know some of the circumstances that they're not sharing. They're just 
presenting a half a truth like it's a whole truth, and they're making the decisions on the half a truth rather than the whole truth. And here you see them blaming God. They don't connect the dots. When self-justification gives birth to self-deception, what they're going to do here is this. They're not going to go back and say, you know, we shouldn't have made this vow. We shouldn't have killed all those people. They're not. No, no, they can't be wrong. So they justify themselves and wind up deceiving themselves. See, because self-deception grows out of self-justification, which hinders any self-reflection. People deceive even themselves. And here they are looking at the situation and you you just see that they're all confused. They made a rash vow. They should have went back like Jephthah should have gone back and said, you know, God forgive us, we made a rash vow. We should have not said that we weren't gonna allow our daughters to marry the Benjamites. Uh, God forgive us because we, we overkilled We shouldn't have wiped out our brother, the Benjamites, because they were angry. They just set towns afire. They destroyed everything. Now, when God told them to destroy the Canaanites, they wouldn't do it. But they'll fight against their own brothers. They'll fight against other believers. And here, it leads to self-deception. The ends justify the means. What happens is, they said, boy, we we made this commitment, this vow. What are we going to do? Where's a loophole? Now, This is amazing. It starts off with one woman being abused, one woman being murdered, and it ends up with many women, 600, being abused, bride stealing. It it ends up with murders. One person murdered, it starts off, and then there's all these other murders, thousands. It snowballs. See, when you begin to do what's right in your own eyes, whether it's an individual, whether it's a society, it snowballs and gets worse. In verses 16 to 22, so the elders of the assembly asked, how can we find wives for these few who remain? We cannot give them our own daughters in marriage, because they had made these vows. Then they thought, the annual festival of the Lord held in Shiloh. They told the men of Benjamin who still needed wives, go hide in the vineyards. When you see some young women in Shiloh, come out for their dances. Rush out from the vineyards and each of you can take one of them home to be your wife. Ladies, how would you like that? And their fathers and brothers, if they come in to protest, we will tell them, let them have your daughters for we didn't find wives for all of them when we destroyed Jabesh Gilead. They destroyed a whole city because it didn't come to Mizpah. And when it didn't come to Mizpah, they never checked out why it didn't come. They just went and said, we need some wives for these Benjamites. It, it doesn't make sense because of a stupid vow they made because they went too far. They won't admit it. They won't reflect on it. They won't repent of it. And they simply go on and make matters worse. And this is what they say. And you are not guilty of breaking the vows since you did not actually give your daughters to them in marriage. They're looking for a loophole. The idea is the end justifies the means. Well, the end is what's important. How we get there doesn't matter. Doesn't that sound like America? Doesn't that sound like politics? Doesn't that sound like so many in our culture today? We have to do what's right in his eyes. Not what is right in our own eyes. The Bible tells us that Jesus came in Galatians 1.4. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. 
We need to be able to say, Lord, speak, for we'll listen. Throughout the history of the nation of Israel, there have been various forms of leadership. From the creator of heaven and earth, to kings, to judges. The book of Judges details the time when God chose judges like Othniel and Deborah to make right ruling in Israel. Join us each day as Pastor Ed shares with us verse by verse from the book of Judges. You've been listening to Building in Faith, the radio ministry of Dr. Edward Jones of Faith Assembly in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, we want to encourage you to log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and spend some time getting to know us. Visiting the website will also help you stay current with what's being broadcasted here on Building in Faith. At the website, you'll find today's message for you to listen to again, download, or even post to your Facebook page to share with your family and friends. Again, that's all available when you log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. Or, if you'd like, you can always give us a call. Our phone number is 845 462 5955. That's 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. In the next edition of Building in Faith, Pastor Ed will continue teaching verse by verse through the Old Testament book of Judges. So be sure to join us. Until then, may God richly bless you. Your word restores.